Hey everyone, it's Gabby and Danny and Manny and you're listening to Oye, Let's Talk. Regards to national headlines, obviously like racial justice and racism has been a huge topic and what many people may not know, but if you're listening to this, you probably do, is that racism and colorism looks very different in the Hispanic Latinx community. So we're here today to discuss what got us here, what does the awareness look like, How does racism and colorism look like in today's world within our community? And what can we do to change it? So I'm going to lean on some of our historic knowledge here and discuss maybe some definitions just so you all can understand. So as far as race, even though I would personally call it a social construct, it's basically a grouping of humans based on shared physical or social qualities into categories basically viewed as distinct by a society. So a society can decide what a race is. In terms of colorism, it's basically prejudice or discrimination against people with a darker skin tone, typically among people of the same ethnic or racial group. So when you hear light skin, dark skin, that can be a form of prejudice as opposed to just a description if there is discrimination attached to it. And then there's a whole idea of anti-blackness. We'll get into that in a little bit. But the important thing to remember is that being Hispanic is an ethnicity. So it's more of like a culture. So you can be both Hispanic and black or Hispanic and white because race and ethnicities are two different things. So in order to explain how we got here and how we got all this terminology, we kind of need to understand colonization. So I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to I'm going to call our resident historian manny guys i'm so excited to talk about this um i want to give a shout out to a professor i had at the university of florida shout out to dr Tresende for teaching this class i took a senior year um and the book i love her she's awesome right she's amazing well, she taught this class my senior year. It was called Race and Sex in Latin America. And once we were planning on doing this episode, I was like, I need to bring out this book that I haven't opened in like four years. And all this, like all the stuff I found, I need to share it with you guys. So I'm going to start from the very beginning. And I'm obviously going to start off by mentioning that Europeans specifically used race to be able to make that distinction among classes. Obviously, from the very beginning, race was tied to a specific history of the world. So it wasn't necessarily that you were, it was based off color, it was based off history. And we see this at the very beginning at the formations of the Inquisitions by Spain as they were persecuting a lot of the Muslims and the Jews. In Spain and Portugal, um, this is where you kind of saw the beginning of the more common term of the usage of race as a lot of people in Spain used to see Jews as a raza. Spain really sees Judaism as a race and having Jews with infected blood, basically. The term we hear a lot today called limpieza de sangre, where, you know, like you're you're kind of taught to purify your blood and, you know, it shouldn't be tainted and it should be, you know, as pure oh, white like, as you can. Adelantar la raza. Right, la right, raza. right, right. So that concept stems all the way from then where um, 
when you say then, sorry to interrupt, um, what time period are you talking about? This is, right, this is, so this is around, um, around the time of the Inquisition, which occurred in 1478. This is where you're really seeing the intensification, the intensification of limpieza de sangre. So in Portugal, there were practices involved to prove whether, how white you were. And basically, you could even get a decree from the crown saying that you're white. So this was very important. Wait, just for clarification, like the same way we would probably have like a birth certificate or like a driver's license, like you needed a piece of paper to say that you were white. No, you didn't need it, but you could get it. It was was like like something that was available. Oh, so that was like a class thing. Right, definitely, definitely. Okay, okay. And in the Americas and in the colonies, the idea of limpieza was also adapted to new circumstances. And eventually, you know, as Spaniards and colonizers came to the Americas, and remember most at the beginning, at first, it was mostly men, mostly white men. There was a scarcity of women. You saw a lot of sexual unions between white men and black women and indigenous women. And eventually, over time, over years, you saw a stratification, a social stratification of society. Basically, at the bottom, you had the uh, Indios and the slaves. And atop, you obviously had the whites. And the middle, it was occupied by legally free, non-white, and often mixed people known in Spanish colonies as castas. And this classification centered on terms such as mestizo, mulato, pardo, with many regional variants. And people went many lengths to prove that they were white or to prove that they didn't have some ancestor who was black or some ancestor who was, quote-unquote, tainting their lineage. You know, so it was very important extremely important to a prove you're white and b prove that you didn't have any ancestors that could probably you know taint your reputation in you know in society this was obviously more important to the elites from the beginning we've seen this system created by white europeans um, creating this classified system a classified society where you know the purity of your blood was important it was important that you didn't have any background that would give so from these sexual unions we obviously had a lot of people being born that were mestizo that were mixed and all those people were illegitimate they weren't being claimed obviously by their white parent um so they were just automatically put in the inferior category from colonialism we've always had this system and it's perpetuated into our, you know, current society where we still hold those Eurocentric white ideas, where we still uphold, you know, white beauty, where we still uphold the importance of adelantando la raza, the importance of, you know, purifying your blood lineage. Because to this day, I've heard of people like making those comments in my family, like, oh, you don't want to marry someone that's black. You, you know, you want to marry someone that's lighter than you. Just like as mm-hmm, we've been saying, just to um, further ahead your race, because if you're black, your race is clearly behind. And it's just those little notions that perpetuate into such a big thing now that you realize whenever I feel like we have a conversation with our families, I feel like this is where it definitely needs to start by mentioning that 
black people are not inferior. Like that is something that you've been, you know, almost brainwashed to believe from, you know, generations upon generations. Our families have thought this way. And I feel like this is one of the biggest things to tackle with our families when talking about, you know, racism in our community because our history really shows where we come and our thinking and why why is it that people are thinking like that, you know? Well, basically what I, it kind of makes more sense to me that like I always wondered how does Eurocentric beauty standards apply to the Latinx community because you would think that us having indigenous roots as well, like why would we pre- put so much pressure on these Eurocentric beauty standards, i.e. like blue eyes, blonde hair, the lighter you are, the more pretty, the colored eyes are are gorgeous and it it does all stem from uh, colonization at the end of the day and it's just an odd concept to me because i i saw too much disconnect but you really did paint a picture there for me manny i appreciate that yeah a hundred percent i think all that thought process can be really traced back to colonization like and we you hear a lot in our community saying that our minds have been are still colonized. And I think that's what it's referring to. Like our families and our, and the people who are not realizing what's going on, their brains have been colonized. They've been colonized to think this way, to have that Eurocentric, you know, thinking. Well, it's also what we see uh, with regards to like beauty standards. I mean, I think until very recently, we started seeing more diversity, of course, but you know, even like our parents or grandparents, they all grew up looking at advertisements in magazines with like Gap and, you know, Sada and all, all of these like branded names with fair skinned, you know, individuals with blue eyes like Abby was describing and blonde hair. And that was the idea of beauty. And I think it's also interesting to note that even to this day, I think we still use the words mestizo and mulato and not necessarily to classify an individual within uh, like their class, but because of their skin color, if that makes sense. Like, oh, that's that's a person that's mulato because of their skin tone. And I, I just kind of want to like highlight an example of that. Like, if you look at Spanish news, how many reporters or anchors are Afro-Latinas? Like, are Black women giving the news Very in Spanish? Cute. Yeah, precisely. So I just think like the Eurocentric beauty standards are still very present in today's world and like even though latinos may fight for more media representation there is there are limits or there are certain standards for media representation like in novelas wherever you go like for the hispanic look and i think it took us a long way to even be accepting of that look quote unquote and even then when we see afro latinas or african-american women that normally have curly hair you don't see that on tv you always see them with straight hair and i've always thought that was interesting because I have naturally curly hair, but I love straightening it. And it takes me back to a time where, you know, when I was younger, I used to hate my hair. I hated it and I always straightened it. And because of that, because of the idea of beauty was that. To have straight hair. And then going along that point, like speaking to some of Manny's historical context, is that people needed to prove they were white. Like they wanted to prove they were white because it was a class thing. And even today, again, going back to the example of like, for instance, it is a big deal to be an anchor woman sitting behind the desk it, re- reporting the news. And it's even harder to do it um, in Spanish news in America because there's so few stations that do it. But if you do see an Afro-Latina, they are often light-skinned 
or have like lighter eyes or lighter hair. Like it's very rarely that they are dark skinned women. And that's where I kind of want to get into more of the explanation of colorism. The thing I want to highlight the most is that since his being Hispanic or the Hispanic Latinx community is within its own ethnicity, we have an issue with colorism that people are prioritized based on the color of their skin. Or I don't want to say prioritized, but judged upon. So racism, the Hispanic community will stand in certain regards in solidarity with the black community, but there will always be a certain level of discrimination and racism. But some Hispanics might not even recognize that they're black or might not consider themselves to be part of the black community, but would be very easy to disregard someone based off the color of their skin. So I think an issue apart from racism is this colorism, this prejudice that it's easy to point someone who may have the same last name as you or could be your brother, sister, or cousin and think subconsciously that you may be better than them just because you turned out whiter because of your genetics. And I just kind of want to discuss that with you all to see like if you've ever seen that or noticed it because personally, like guys I've dated, for instance, my parents have been like, oh, they're Hispanic, but they tend to be darker than me and they can be the same color as my grandmother who is Central American from Panama. And my grandfather was white like European, straight up, you can trace the bloodline back to Spain, white, but he was born in Cuba. So you would think both of them coming from um, Hispanic countries or Spanish countries in this case, you would think that colorism wasn't be, wouldn't be so present, but my grandfather's mother was prejudiced to my grandmother who was darker skinned and my grandmother who is darker skinned herself, my mother turning out whiter like her father they will point out when someone is darker than them. And I think it's interesting that it's such an intergenerational thing that you would think if you've experienced this colorism yourself or if you were put through any type of experience to show you like, yeah, like, and it just, it, it's intriguing to see how generation after generation, it could be getting a little bit better, but when it hits too close to home, the colorism can still come out. A hundred percent. I feel, and I referred back to this, like, you know, you always want to date someone that's lighter with, than you. And I want to, I want to point out something really funny. And I feel like, I don't know if this is just in the Cuban community or the Latino community, but people who are, let's say mulatto or light skin, they're not really black. Do, do you guys get that also? Because Oh my gosh, yes. It's one of my biggest pet peeves that I'm like, yeah. you know, like, <laughs> yeah. they're not black, right? Right, right. They're like, because it's to your point, you're like, how do you address that? And you're like, first of all, they need to realize that those people are also black. Even then, it's like, why does it matter? Because whether you're black or mulatto or white, I mean, we're obviously talking about this topic because it matters within our community and it's still so uh, prevalent, but... At the end of the day, it's like, even if they were black, even if they were African-American, even if they were mulatto, so what? You know? Like, they're still beautiful. They should still be treated the same, and they're not. But even fundamentally and culturally, they're the same. So that's where I think it's very interesting. Like, it's your cousin making platanos and eating eating arroz con huevo next to you, but you're going to call him mulatto. Like, I, it just doesn't make, I don't know, there's a disconnect in my mind, and I find it very intriguing that people feel the need to point out this difference within their own culture. 
Yeah, instead of like, oh, we're all the same person. Well, I mean, it's the same thing as, you know, here in America, in American culture. It's like there's the black American, there's a white American, and you'll see that in other countries. I think the biggest thing is, and I can only speak on my own experiences and my people and my Cuban people, because I've, you know, this conversation we're having right now, I've extensively tried to bring to my family to the table because I feel like having those conversations is the only way to change them. And I feel like one of the biggest things is, to them, racism or colorism is not what we define it as. To them, racism is segregation. And obviously, segregation doesn't exist. So to them, is like, racism doesn't exist. This person can eat and, and, and be wherever I am. But then you're like, no, it's deeper than that. And there's different forms of racism. So yeah. it's it's hard for them because obviously in Cuba – segregation when fidel castro took over he got rid of segregation so to a lot of cubans racism doesn't exist on the island that they're blind to it but in reality and i've talked to black you know black members of my family where it's like no it's like a generation ago people are still getting discriminated again and people and black people are still looked as less and looked as lazy and looked as not wanting, you know, you you shouldn't marry a black person because again, you're going to be, you know, ruining your lineage. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That mentality is still there. Oh my gosh. Yes. No, I like high key relate. So for instance, my, my father, a majority of my family is in Cuba is black. And to me, like, it's just never, I don't know, like, it's never been a point to bring up. Like, when they bring up the family in Cuba, they're like, the family in Cuba, right? And my mother, who is primarily white, will be like, well, you know, most of your dad's family is black. And I'm like, okay, yes, like, we FaceTime, it's cool. I don't understand why that needs to be like a point brought up often. And it's kind of like, why? It's like the the stereotypical, well, I have black friends, so I can't be racist. So I feel uh, like in my family, okay. they're like, well, we have black family, so we can't be racist. Or, hey, we're aware of people's races, so there's no reason to assume that right. we may be racist. And I realize like they're kind of using it as like the white flag approach whenever anyone may bring up racism <laughs> in, this, in this point of contention because it feels like such a hot topic at the moment that I feel like it's being brought up more that we do have black family members. And I feel like also when it's your family, you're kind of blinded by it because you don't like you maybe you grew up with them and you love them so much and like you don't see it. I mean, you see it, but it's not a thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, but it's not as stark of a difference. Yes, yeah. definitely. Yeah. It's different when it's family as opposed to someone outside your family that's black. So then that kind of like leans into another topic I wanted to cover, which Danny, like help me out here because I know you're very familiar with a lot of these contemporary topics, but yeah. anti-blackness. So we discussed racism, we discussed colorism, but then overall it's this feeling of anti-blackness. So like you may not be the most profound racist in the world, like whatever that looks like. Um, but you could kind of be like, I'm not cool with black people. And I feel like that's very prominent in the Latinx community, yes. whether they're Hispanic or not. So like they're cool, they'll buy their food, they'll go, they'll enter their businesses, etc. But there's but some- they don't. There's something about associating with them extra and having, like, as Manny was saying, like, if someone married them or, like, had children with a black person or whatever, like, there's this anti-black sentiment. And 
it's not just, oh, you're, you're darker than me, like mulatto or you're African. Like, it's not like just about race. It's specifically the color black on a human being. And I just wanted to like address some of this because I feel like a lot of the issue. It makes me so angry. I, I mean, understatement. But I've even seen like Afro-Latinas try to appear whiter, like via makeup or mm-hmm. whatever, because of this anti-black sentiment. Or bleach their skin. That's also very popular in other cultures, like in yes, India, for example, yes. or Pakistan. I mean, that's maybe even universal. I know, like, in Asia, in general, it's a thing. So it just gets me thinking, like, when you're younger, too, like, in, like instilling this anti-Black sentiment into our youth makes it very difficult for an Afro-Latina or a Black Hispanic to grow up and accept all parts of themselves. Because... And I'm going to go back to like some of the experiments I kind of research and such. So like we, I think this is kind of obvious, but there's research backing it that Hispanics with darker skin are more likely to experience the mis- discrimination compared to those with lighter skin. And this is from a Pew research study from almost exactly a year ago to the day. So we know this, but how do they determine it? They use this thing called the Macy Martin scale, which with my brief knowledge of psychology, it's basically like a psychological way, like showing through imagery, um, how to gauge how one sees their own skin tone, right? So they modified it to test it among Hispanics. Now I have read numerous studies and it just keeps showing up either, especially with the older demographic, they don't report as dark as they are. They think they're lighter than what they are when they're Hispanic. So I think that's a very interesting oh point. Oh my god. <laughs> and then but when they ask like younger Hispanic dark children, they ask them like how dark they are. They're very aware. Like a 6-year-old is very aware that she is black and Hispanic. But the dilemma stems oh, really? that yeah, but then she thinks that she's going to be treated worse. So at that young age, she already knows or he already wow. knows that they're going to be treated worse based on this Macy Martin scale or a modified one. But then when they test teenagers or adults and et cetera, or even like the elderly, they all pinpoint themselves as lighter than what they are. So that's the anti-blackness in our community is that they're teaching them that it's wrong to be that. But if you're successful, if you have a job, if you get married, et cetera, you are less black than what you originally thought. Right. Because status being, you know, having more power and status, I think, is equated to being white. So, you know, you've ascended the ranks, you are in a power and, you know, you're in a position of power, or higher status. This is, would that be relatable? Oh, absolutely. When you were discussing it, I was totally re- relating it back to some of this research. And uh, that was just blowing my mind that I'm like, wow, this is all truly rooted in stuff that we could not help. Wait, yeah. when you say when you say they are teaching them, when you what do you who are you referring to? Like society in general, at school, family? I would like say it, I would say society, but with the like environment, um what is it? Nature versus nurture. I would say agents that of, Yeah, school agents of socialization. It could be school, family, it could be so many things. Yeah, cuz I do think that a lot of it is like parents teaching this to their teaching or not parents but like family teaching anti-blackness at a young age like being black is bad and then like they try to whiten your skin or straighten your hair you know like they hold your eccentric beauty standard and this is all like in reference to anti-blackness this isn't necessarily racism at that point right like obviously it's underlying racism for whomever's teaching it but the six-year-old is not inherently racist they're just being taught to be anti-black 
And that's where I think it all stems from, because it's like, to me, almost a stepping stone that you teach a child or society influences a child that to be anti-Black, because the Blacker you are, the less you may be in terms of social status. Or if you associate with darker skin toned people, that could be a bad look for you, whether it's through marriage, friendships, etc. And then as you get older, it can be it turns into racism or it becomes ugly and more racist. And it all like anti-blackness, colorism. And I think like racism is kind of the final step because at that point you're just acting on it. And I don't know, I'm I don't want to go too too much on a tangent. But these are the important notes I want to make. Like, I don't think young kids or young Hispanic Latino kids understand when they say like, "El es mulato" or "La negrita." Yeah, like they don't understand what that means. But that's the anti-blackness that was taught to them. It's also like saying they repeat stuff from their parents too, so it's it becomes a habit. But that's what I'm saying. Like, it's learned. And it goes back to my whole idea that race is a social construct, which if anyone's interested, it is, for sure. what, whoever wants to read this interesting book, it's not necessarily about like Latinx and racism, but a journalist eh, crossed some ethical boundaries. That's a conversation to have, um, <laughs> but decided to go through like this procedure to make his skin darker so he can learn what it's like to be black in the South. So it's called Black Like Me by John Howard Griffin. I invite anyone to read it and decide what ethnical (laughs) decisions this guy made. When did he make this book? What's the year? What's the copyright date? Because that's... Uh, Yeah, let's put it in context. That's like a a borderline... Right. I think I want to say this. Borderline blackface. No, it absolutely. Look, honestly, that was one of my points. Because I read it in my journalism and ethics class. But he was saying like... Basically, he was doing it to prove a point. It wasn't to make fun of. Them. Well, no, he was just he was doing it to document, right? Like he lived life as a white man. Now he's going to try to live part of his life as a black man. Which this procedure he eventually died from. Um, yeah, oh sorry. Books, <laughs> books, That's so funny, Manny. It's not funny, but the That's point terrible. being, it's kind of the disclaimer of like, don't try it yourselves, but essentially like he decides to do this to learn about the black experience and though well intentioned a little complicated because i'm pretty sure there was enough black people living in the south at the moment and it was kind of proving like whether race was a social construct or like what did people really go through because he was the same person with the same credentials and etc his skin was just darker and that's he just documents basically his life going through that so it's not like he paints his face or anything like it's he does injections to make his what is it? The melanin darker. And it's his whole, like, I read most of it. I'm not going to lie. I didn't finish the book because it's a little boring. But I do. If, <laughs> wait, 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 sell it, Gabby. No. Right. She says the ending and she's like, guys, I didn't even finish it. <laughs> yeah, I recommend this amazing no, I, read, I read the stuff I needed to. Okay. But um, point being, like, it was just kind of interesting. And I also just didn't feel comfortable. Like, I had a lot of qualms about it from an ethnical standpoint. Like, I just, journalism and ethics are one thing. Um, so I just thought it was just oh, not worth all of my time in my senior year of college to finish the entire book, but I've been revisiting it now. 
Um, so highly recommend for anyone who's like interested in those topics and highly recommend wants to see from that because at oh, least Gabby, you're not going to mention what 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 he learns. What I thought that's what we were leading up to. No, what did you say? What were the finding? You're like, go read it. I didn't finish it. <laughs> well, he obviously learned that he'd be treated differently. Like he was even beat up and stuff. So. He was just oh, like, wow. wow, a white man lives life very differently from a black man. So spoiler alert, in case you didn't know. like, <laughs> So I've been digressing. What I really wanted to talk about, because we keep talking about men, men and colonizing, European men, whatever. Um, let's talk about this point of people of color and then women of color. Because you never That's hear cool. men of color. <laughs> what? So personally, I, I self-identify as a white passing Latina. Um, some white people have told me that I may not be considered white. So I will take that as a compliment, but I also don't necessarily consider myself a woman of color just because I feel like by being a white passing Latina, I just don't experience the same thing as women who may be darker than me. So I don't feel comfortable associating myself as a woman of color when they're when we all women of color experience life in a very different way. And there's certain prejudices that I may never experience simply because I came out slightly lighter. Same. I mean, I, I, it's definitely tricky, but I've definitely heard friends of mine who are white passing um, Hispanics and they're like, yeah, I'm a woman of color. And I'm like, um, I mean, you identify the way you want to, that's totally your prerogative. But like, like you've said, it's, it's different. I, I don't know it's yeah like it's I think it's, it's mostly an experience. Mm-hmm, most definitely touchy and I feel like at the end of the day like if someone else were to call me a woman of color like I like I don't think I'd correct them because that just ultimately identifies how they view me and I don't really think it's a self-label thing if that makes sense like if someone else already sees me as a woman of color that means that they don't see me as white which likely means I'm not going to have a white experience when communicating or collaborating with them and that was my next point that the way this phrase is used is to classify you as a minority not necessarily based on race or the color of your skin but just to classify you as not white you're a woman of color but i don't know if i agree with that either at least for me for my definition of myself no I, i i agree with you too i think you and i are in the same boat um just I know y'all can't see us, but for reference, Danny's slightly whiter than me. Um, but ultimately, like we could hold our own when among friends who may not share the same color skin tone. I think we all relate pretty well um, in terms of like interests and culture and et cetera. But I think it's just interesting that women of color come up comes up so much. And Manny, like, feel free to chime in on this. But I don't think it's no one ever says a man of color interesting that you guys have that point of view when i've never had that conversation obviously as a man and like gabby you asked me at the beginning of the pod uh, before we started our podcast you're like oh have you ever heard have you ever been called a man of color and i'm like no that even sounds weird because i've never heard that um so i'm just gonna i'm gonna ask you ladies a question so would you not you would not you what you're saying is you wouldn't label yourself as a woman of color yeah, I per I personally wouldn't label myself a woman of color. I, I have, I'm going to sound super hypocritical right now, but I have been touchy when someone else doesn't label me as a woman of color. Like when a white person writes me off as white, but oh, can't understand my culture. 
then I get a little frustrated when they're like, yeah, you're not a woman of color. Like you're just, you're just white. And that has bothered me because I feel like they're erasing some of my culture and some of our differences, which is kind of nice, but then they're not kind of condescending the way you're making it sound. Yeah. Like it's kind of saying like, is my culture not enough because my skin tone isn't a different pigmentation? Like, and then I know, again, you all can't see us, but when you come, <laughs> like, I see myself as pretty white, but then, you know, everyone does the arm check where you put one arm next to the other and you take a gander and I'm like, oh, I'm actually like kind of tanner than you. Um, it's this idea of like, oh, I think I'm whiter. I definitely think I'm whiter than what I actually am only because I'm so caught up in the thought of, well, I'm not a woman of color. Like, I don't have that much pigmentation to to have so much prejudice. And then this goes into this idea of, like, women of color or people of color supposed to be all-encompassing for anyone who does not belong to the white ethnicity or the Mm -hmm. white race. Right. Both. Both the ethnicity and the race. And I think that's interesting because it does encompass Latin American and Hispanic individuals in which... Okay, so that means if all Hispanics are considered people of color, but some Hispanics are white or dark, like, I don't know, I just feel like it's too many labels to really draw yeah. from lines. I think, you know, listening to you guys, I think maybe it's just a problem with the labeling because you're you're not... It's because you're, race is a social construct. Right. <laughs> like, why, uh, why is that right, even a thing still? Right. I don't get it. I think it's really interesting that you you don't want to be called a person of color by someone who's darker than you. Because you don't want to offend them. You're like, I don't want to take that away from you. But then you're offended if a white person doesn't call you a person of color because they're not recognizing you. So I feel like it's just a bad label because we're in one instant, we're using the word to really describe our color. And then the other one, we're using it to describe uh, an ethnicity. Is that what you were trying to allude to? Yeah, so just like to straighten it out, I would never call myself a woman of color in front of someone who's darker than me. Um, I just feel like I cannot put myself on the same level as them because, again, I will have different experience in terms of prejudice and discrimination. But if a white person were to say, oh, you're not a woman of color, you're just white, I would feel like, yeah, they're they're not acknowledging my ethnicity at that point. Or the richness of your culture, like you're more than just yes. American. So it's kind of, I know, I get it. It's hella hypocritical um, and a little complex. And trust me, I've been reading on it to like trying to deep dive and understand this complex of mine more. But I think at the end of the day, it's because being Hispanic, being a Latina isn't exactly rooted in color. It's just colorism plays such a huge role in the ethnicity that right. I'm confused about my own race. So I know my ethnicity, but when the census rolled around, I'm checking the white box (laughs) because that's the one that applies the most, but it's confusing. And I think that's, you know, going all this, like Danny said, this is all a social construct. And at the end, we actually alluding back to this class that I took, I remember speaking just about this topic where it's like someone who doesn't necessarily fall in one category or the other. It's like, what do you put? Every, we're all others all people coming out of latin america or others it's like 500 years of europeans and natives and black people you know you know reproducing to we are the product of all that mixing it's like we're not one thing or the other 
and it's maybe like that comp not, not that it's a complex but you called it a complex but it's kind of just I, I feel like other hispanics and other latinos have that same you know identity they're questioning their identity because it's like society wants to put me in this box but it doesn't really describe me to the full extent right Exactly. And I think like at the end of the day, this is what is intriguing about the female or the Latina experience is that we have to struggle with the gender roles of our culture and then the racial and ethnic divisions and then the Eurocentric beauty standards that are shoved upon us when our European ancestry might be generations away. So I'm just like, (laughs) sorry to steal the thunder. That was the perfect point. Thank you. Thank you. But sorry, sorry to steal the thunder a little bit, Manny, but like Latinas have it harder when it comes to like this idea of how to approach colorism within the Latinx community, because there's also the gender role that applies. Definitely. When- no, gender roles, beauty standards. For definitely. Sure. I'm not, I'm not even taking that away from you and alluding. I, I was gonna, now I will allude back to this book, you know, this class that I took and it actually links race and sex from the beginning, you know, and like the sexualization of the black woman and the black slave by, you know, the white Europeans where it was like, you know, they wanted them, but at the same time they didn't, they weren't wanted. And, you know, it's, it's a lot, you know, I'm not going to even take that away from you guys and, I'm not going to be able to understand, but you definitely deserve that space. Oh, thanks, Manny. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) That was sweet. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess that we should really talk about, like, we clearly have identified the issues within our culture and, like, provided more context to it. But we should definitely discuss how should we even change it? Like, where do we begin? Oh, so hard. I'm telling you guys from like the first when I came back from college, one of my biggest things was like, I want to just transfer everything I know into my family's brains, right? College is like a liberal bubble. And we don't realize that we think everyone's just as open minded and diverse as us. And then we come back to reality. We're like, wait, what? Yeah, yeah. And like, I feel I don't know if you guys had this struggle where it was like coming back and you're like, no, but I want to teach you all these things I learned. And it's like, Ugh. so I mean, I've tried I've had so many conversations with my family, I've showed them Netflix documentaries. And there's this great explained video on Netflix about like the racial wealth gap. And I sat down with my family. And I showed it to them. And we had a conversation about it. And I've had lengthy discussions with my family my family at this point like like oh you love black people like go live with them <laughs> yes and it's like no i'm just here like trying to prove a point <laughs> right no 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 seriously and every time the conversation comes up it's like they start just trolling me they'll like start saying things like that are purposely stupid just to like make me angry um and i don't know they're they it's a very it's a rooted problem in their upbringing and their way of thinking. And that's very, very hard to change, but I feel like it's going to take us and the younger, the younger, the younger (laughs) generation to really, you know, change that and challenge those views. I don't know, guys, what do you think? Have you spoken to your families about race? How is it that you approached it? I have a question for you. Yeah. So when you have these conversations with your family, do you ever feel like they're just writing you off? Or like, do you ever feel like you're 
getting through to them or are most of the time they they're not listening like what is it like for you they're no it's just arguing (laughs) that that, you know they're trying to make their point and i'm trying to make their point it's like no black people are this or they're violent or they're rude or they're lazy and they live in these areas because they want to and it's like no but you know um all you know institutional racism exists and slavery and the most i even brought up this fact once it's like oh the most people on food stamps are not black people it's actually white people and i i, didn't, I actually I, did not know that yeah i can't quote that right now but that is a fact um and you know i've just i've i brought i'm telling you i've even brought facts to the table i've showed them stuff and it's hard because they want it's back to you know it's in psychology there's something called confirmation bias and belief perseverance and those things are continuously gonna want to act upon your brain and like oh no this is what i believe and even speaking to vanessa on our last episode she mentioned she know she mentioned kind of oh making the story relatable and this and that but at the end of the day they won't even recognize that that person's black. One time I was like, oh, but Obama was black uh, and he was president. And then my family's like, no, he's not really black. Going back to the thing, really? it's like not recognize. Yes, wow. because he's a he's light skin. He's not mm-hmm. really black. The you know colorism, so, the justification. Right, right. So, but you know what, Manny? Like, don't feel defeated. I, I applaud you because just like Vanessa said in the last episode, for those of you who haven't heard it, highly recommend listen to the last episode. Um, it starts with those conversations. Like you're making your family and or your friends face certain issues and topics that maybe they avoid or they neglect or they are blinded by it because they don't care or they don't want to talk about it. And you're making them sit down and think about it and express whatever it is that they're feeling. Even if it's not what you want to hear or you feel like you're getting shut down, you're, you're doing something about it. You're having these conversations and, that's where certain realizations start to come up. And I for sure. I kind of like pushed more to see like where are you going with this cuz I think everyone especially on social media they just posted like have the tough conversations like eat your arroz con gandules and like make sure you fight systemic racism at the dinner table. But are table. you really? No, but are you really? <laughs> but like the thing is is that you see a lot of people pushing for it and what they don't understand it or what is not conveyed via a social media post all the time is that it takes a lot of work. And as Manny explained initially, colonization was hundreds of years ago. You, an educated individual who's well-versed on these topics and have spent, I would say, almost a decade unlearning at this point and had the privilege of education, are now trying to pass on this knowledge with love and care to individuals who raised you, who have similar values as you, and you and right. you don't always get through. And like that's the point I want to drive with people is that it's not as easy as one or two conversations around the dinner table. Like unlearning takes time, and Manny was willing to do it mm-hmm. in a, a university setting on top of that. Which And mind you, these adults and abuelitos and abuelitas are stubborn AF. So... I'm gonna be completely honest. So all the all the all the all the anecdotes I've given, they've been in the past. Like I have not had a race conversation with my family like recently. You know, now that it's a obviously a big topic, 
I really haven't approached that with them yet because I feel like a I need to be I need to have patience, obviously, because I know if I'm going to go and tackle this conversation with this person that obviously doesn't agree with me. Um, like it was my aunt's birthday, maybe like three weeks ago. And they were talking about it. I was like, I'm not going to weigh in. Like, it's not the moment to weigh in. Um, you know, cause at the end of the day, you need to come and you need to come ready with your facts and your, your stats because that people will challenge you and you need to be ready. I don't, I don't know. It's hard. It's very no, hard guys. It's very hard. Absolutely. The one conversation that I was having with my mother and I can sit like if. My grandmother, I feel like I'm not going to ever get through to her. My mother is someone that like, she says all the right things. And it's like, she's almost there. And then she comes out with something that I'm like, oh my gosh, you still don't get it. And it's odd. Yes. like, it's an interesting dichotomy. Cause she's like, oh, people should be treated better, whatever. And then she yes. comes out with like something left field, colorist, racist, whatever you want to say. Yes. <laughs> and then I find myself like, I'll have the long conversations and bring the facts and like send the links or whatever. And I feel like she's understanding and she's an American, you know, she was born here, but first generation raised um, by my Cuban grandfather, her Panamanian mother. And I lose my patience. And like, that's the biggest key I want to give to people is that if you don't have the patience to deal with it, it's a losing battle because the minute you start yelling, screaming, 100%. and yeah. like, you don't have your facts or you're saying like, you don't get it. Or you're, you're like basically throwing someone's ignorance in their face. Like no one appreciates that. Like they're not going to be receptive to what you're saying. So change starts with your patience, in my opinion. A hundred percent. And that being said, like, I do think part of it is advocacy and being an ally. And I do want to harp on the aspect that you cannot call yourself an ally. Only those impacted can judge whether or not how you're reacting is a form of allyship. So all you can do is, I, I really hate saying this, but educate yourself to be a better ally and put yourself in those shoes to be an ally when necessary. So when you notice that a family member may be colorist or racist to someone within the, your own ethnicity, like you have to stand up and share the facts. And I say protect that individual, like when they're not in that space, but it can be something as vague as an, a specific person, or just that community who seems to identify with the color of what or whatever that your family may be pointing out at that moment, or and or standing up against stereotypes and such. Another group that I kind of want to bring up. Um, we didn't really touch upon the Black Lives Movement in this podcast, which We've referenced a little bit our last episode does and largely harps on it. But the Black Lives Matter movement is very much alive within the Latino community as well. So don't forget that. Don't let that leave. Don't leave that behind. Like, obviously, right now, this is their space and we need to, to support that and like be in solidarity with it. But when it comes to the Hispanic Latino community as well, it's our darker skin brothers and sisters that are that face more discrimination and prejudice so just like the black community had their black panthers for civil liberties around the same time we got our brown berets basically and it's a group a grassroots group that basically coincided with the black panthers like they did a lot of stuff in solidarity but when latinos were gunned down the brown berets were there they fight for police reform they do all the same things i would argue it's very similar to the Black Lives Movement and to the Black Panthers, but they do it for the Hispanic Latino community. So I invite everyone to educate themselves in that aspect because 
we can't expect our families or our community to be okay with the Black Lives Matter movement or the Black community until we eradicate colorism and racism within our own. But if we don't know our own our own history and we don't understand the people that have their boots on the ground making things better for our community, then how are we expecting to eat, just jump, <laughs> in my opinion, from... Yeah, 100%. Like, we have to eradicate at minimum anti-Blackness before we can move to the next step. I feel like, honestly, Gabby, you that was beautiful. I feel like us being in our community... And Vanessa alluded to this in the last episode where it almost becomes our job, you know, as people in our community who can call out these people um, and, like you said, be that ally. Because, you know, obviously we have Afro-Latinos in our community. We do have Afro-Latinos in our community and we do have people who ident- who identify. But, like, the same way that everyone's, like, so caught up in calling out the white Karens, like... Those women exist in our community as well. Yeah. And Call so, out the brown Karens. Yeah, exactly. Like Gosh, don't should, Karen. Uh, this should be the title of the episode. Call out brown Karens. Let's start a movement. <laughs> <gasps> Hashtag br- call out the brown Karens. Because they're out there. They're your mom and your tias and your abuelita. And sadly, no, it's so sad. We need to Gosh, call them out. abuelita. Right. You know, we we're, we see people on social media and we're like, oh, my God, look at this Karen. How is she so racist? But it's like, no, they're literally at your family party. Cringy. Let's be real. Yeah. And listen, if you have to open up a cerveza and chill with your abuelita <laughs> and be like, yo, I like my brown guys. Like, what can I say? Like, ed- <laughs> educated and established i'm fine with that like they're gonna have to learn to live with it they're not gonna love their grandkids any less or their great grandkids any less i'm just saying are you projecting right now gabby absolutely (laughs) honestly whose ever grandma is down to open a cerveza and have it with me i'm i'm down i'm there Yo, and all I'm saying is that's the best way to tell someone, oh, yeah, let's talk. Because a lot of people get candid with that liquid courage. (laughs) True. So, everyone, now we're going to wrap up our episode. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Oye, Let's Talk. And remember, as Manny said, call out the brown Karens. (laughs) 